You're listening to Yes, Maybe, No with Andrew Streeter. Marty, I need to wake up every morning and talk to you, man. And Yeti Blanc. I was crying when I was trying to mow the yard this weekend listening to that. And special guest, Marty Smith. And when somebody cracks a door for me, I kick the some bitch down. Is this show the best? Yes, Maybe, No! Welcome back to another episode of Yes, Maybe, No. I'm Yeti Blanc. I am Andrew Streeter. Today, we have a very special guest. I first discovered today's guest from his appearances and friendship with the Dan Lebetard Show with Stugatz. In in today's reality, though, he can be found anywhere ESPN wants him to be, but especially on his weekly podcast, Marty Smith's America, the podcast, and on Marty and McGee, Saturday mornings from 7 to 10 on the SEC Network. You can also check out his book, Never Settle, Sports, Family, and the American Soul, wherever you get your books, or you can do like I did and purchase the audio version, and it is fantastic. Now that I've buried the lead, please welcome one of my favorite on ESPN and maybe in the world, Marty Smith. Hey, Yeti. Hey, Andrew. How you guys doing, brother? You guys good? Now that we are here, we are great. Always tired, but always great. Same. <laughs> so um, a little background. I've wanted to talk to Marty uh, for the last three years, especially. Um, my dad passed away May 1st, uh, 2018. And something Marty, Marty, you are always talking about your dad um, and your mom too, but but especially your dad. And, and I knew you lost you your parents at a younger age and um, or, or your parents passed away at a younger age. I, I don't believe they're lost. I'm trying to change that language within myself. Mm. After my dad passed away, I remember, I mean, it, we, we're talking almost exactly three years to the date that we're recording this. I was sitting around and just like, I want to do, I want to do this podcast and I want to do a Father's Day episode and I want to talk to Marty. And so things happened. Andrew and I actually finally got to putting this show together and and here we are today. So Marty, was there anything I missed? Any other projects that you want to, that you want to plug that are coming up or get us excited about? It's, uh, it's always funny. First of all, I, I appreciate everything you said. Uh, uh, my blessings are very rich and it'll I'll never get used to the fact that I get to do this and and they actually pay me for it. Uh, I always feel like football season is a super busy time. Like that's what I have in my head. And it is. But what I need to remove from my head is that the springtime is some sort of some sort of off time or a lesser <laughs> labor intensive time because that's just not true. Uh, it is fallacy. I've been watching you the, for the last few weeks. You're everywhere. It, truly. And and what what an unbelievable time it's been. I've had the best time. So when, when football ends, I usually, in a non-COVID world, join Carl Ravitch and Jimmy Dykes on the Super Tuesday SEC college basketball broadcast team. And that's always very fun. And then we go right into the Southeastern Conference basketball tournament in Nashville. And then it's uh, all the Masters features. And then we do eight days at Augusta National. And then after that, we have the NFL draft. And then after that, I have the Kentucky Derby. (laughs) And on and on and on. Preakness and the PGA Championship are what's next on my docket. I was in Tuscaloosa a couple days ago with Coach Saban doing a golf story, actually. He loves golf, and and I did a feature with him uh, 
and a guy named Mark Blackburn, who is, was the PGA Coach of the Year that will air at the PGA Championship coming up. So uh, it's just always hopping. And I can't describe how grateful I am for that, that, that not only those folks agree to offer me their time, because time is our most precious resource. You can't manufacture it. You can't corral it. You can't get it back. And so I'm always so appreciative when somebody agrees to offer me some time and and that ESPN and, and my bosses there in all different sports, in all different facets, believe enough in me that we can tell great stories that might impact somebody's life. So I just love it. And I'm so grateful for it. Um, I love being busy. Like that's just kind of how I'm wired. And certainly uh, a job like ours that is where we're hopping all over the place to, to from this sport to that sport to that sport to that sport, it keeps you mentally sharp. That there, There's no doubt about that. Very good. Marty, being all over the place and having the schedule that you do, how do you balance your crazy schedule with doing whatever you got to do to to keep the the missus happy and to be able to also you know um, fulfill your duties as a as a dad? Well, she first of all, my wife Lainey is a wonderful human being, uh, extremely selfless person. She has great perspective, and she's been very patient with me. I mean, we've grown together. Uh, May twentieth will be our twenty first anniversary. Wow! And we got married real young, and <laughs> we have three beautiful children together. My son is 15 and my daughters are 12 and soon to be nine. And it's wild kingdom around here. And (laughs) it's funny because so, so here's the way I view it. Like I am always running around and hopping on airplanes and, and this and that, but what our kind of foundation body of understanding professionally is NASCAR. So when I was in NASCAR full time, that is for me, it was about 30, 30 weeks a year that, you know, na- the NASCAR season is 38 weeks, but I didn't do every race every year. I did the vast majority of them every year, but that's a five or six day prospect every time. Mm. So that's what she married. And so w- with that, like we have over time, we've developed a great system, but it's a system that is born, that, 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 that demands truly our mutual respect for one another, great communication, and a, a, a boatload of selflessness on her part. And I said this in my book, you know, Yeti mentioned my book. I wrote an entire chapter trying to truly articulate like what, what quote unquote stay at home mom is. <laughs> it's probably the hardest <laughs> job on earth. And anybody no who doesn't agree with that does just doesn't know. That's just ignorance. Right. Because there is like, you know, you, if I do a feature on ESPN that I spent all this time doing, I'm going to get some immediate and long-term feedback from that. I'm going to get affirmation from that. I might get criticism from that, but I'm going to get some sort of reaction. When you're the mom who your, your routine is get them up, make them breakfast, go to the carpool line, come home, you know, uh, whatever, whatever those, the daily routine is grocery store, laundry, whatever all that stuff is that they might be doing that the family truly needs. But how, like, you're not getting a headline for that. And you should get a headline for that. Absolutely. Like it's, I, I look, I admire it so much. And Again, like I'm, I'm a grinder, and so I just I admire the selflessness that it takes to do that. 
and I'm so grateful for her. So, so that's just, that's, that's kind of the, the, that part of it. But then one, there's one other kind of arm of this answer that is really important. And that's that ESPN is my platform, not my purpose. Right. And I'm so grateful for all of the opportunity that the company affords me, but at this stage, I want to use all of those different opportunities and platforms to make sure that I'm a light, to make sure that what my entire mission is this kind of three-headed idea that every single day when we get up, the vast majority of what we face is out of our control. Like we don't, m- most of the obstacles or variables in our way or in our path are uncontrollables. But every single day when we get up and we're brushing our, our teeth, looking in the mirror, we control kindness, we control effort, and we control passion. Those are on us. That's our decision every single day. If we are kind to other people and we give every last ounce of everything we got to whatever it is we're doing that day, and we do it with an undeniable positive energy, then we are going to impact people's lives in a positive way. And that's my decision every day. And as I've aged and made mistakes, things I want back, done pretty well, um, lost people, had a lot of hurt, had a lot of joy, had a lot of amazing life experiences, all of that whole circle of attributes in our lives, that's where I am right now. And that's kind of the whole mission. And so I'm grateful that I'm afforded these platforms by ESPN so that when you're watching it on TV, you can't help but go, that guy right there loves what he's doing. And my gosh, is he passionate about it? Because I control that. Right. Marty, I need to wake up every morning and talk to you, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, look, I mean, I, Andrew, I mean it. Like, I, my blessings have been beyond what I deserve. And in so many different ways, like again, my wife is my best friend and she has been patient enough with me to evolve with me. And, and, and I can't tell you like how deeply I've needed that because I'm insecure. I'm an insecure person. Like my greatest insecurity is I like to be liked. And in this job, that's a bad one. Right. And so <laughs> she, she's my, my greatest sounding board. And we are such a great team as parents. And so there's that aspect. There are so many people who have believed in me all the way back to college who saw something in me that said, You're, you, you got something. And so because of whatever that something is, we're going to crack open this door for you. We're going to give you a writing job as a college junior at the Roanoke Times covering these high school football games. And we we trust that you're going to make deadline, like real life, true life, professional deadline as a 19-year-old kid. And when somebody cracks a door for me, I kick the some bitch down. That's right. It's how I'm wired. <laughs> and so all the way to now, I still have bosses who say, go do that. We believe that you can do that. And that, think about what that does for you and, and infuses you with a certain brand of confidence. And, and I just, I am really aware of that and grateful for that. Writing the book, how did that, uh, um, I, I got into woodworking a few years ago and I found that really helped connect me to my grandfather, uh, my dad's dad, um, who built his own house. I, he, it's not like he was a trained carpenter or anything. He just did it, you know? And um, so I, I use that as a way to connect me to him and and his skill set and, and trying to pick up that skill. How did writing the book connect you to your parents? Um, and if it did it, and if so, in what ways? I've been asked a thousand questions probably about that book. I've never been asked that one. That's a good one. 
I'll tell you how. So I always viewed that project as so much larger than myself. And so first of all, let me just go back Yeti to how it happened. It The way that that book happened was my publisher, 12 books out of Manhattan and and my the lead editor, vice president of that company is a guy named Sean Desmond. And Sean's son and Sean and his son were just big fans of my television work. And so as I started the prospect, so I'm a writer by trade. I fell into television. I always wanted to write a book, but it wasn't God's time. Like it wasn't the time for me yet. I always felt like I had this, this story that could be told, but it wasn't time yet. And then Sean entered my life through my agent. My agent called me one day. He said, hey, we're putting you on a plane to New York. There's a couple publishers that want to talk to you about doing a book project. And I was like, awesome. Well, the very first one I sat down with was Sean. And it took me about three minutes to know, we don't even need these other meetings. I want I want to work with him. And he trusted me, guys, in an unbelievable way. I think, in fact, he probably went out on such a limb with the publisher that uh, I, I have to imagine, I've never asked him this, but I have to imagine it might have made him a little bit nervous because I wanted to write a book in a very unique way. Books are, there's the age old philosophy of it builds chapter upon chapter upon chapter towards some sort of climax. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to write a record. I wanted to write a series of individual tracks that when unified in one place, take you on a journey. I wanted each chapter to stand alone as its own song, as it were. But when you put all 20 plus chapters together, it takes you on this unique life journey. And he went, do it. He didn't get it. And a lot lot of his colleagues went, what in the hell is like, what? And ultimately, that's what I did. And man, did it work. But okay, so I tell you all of that, Yeti, to tell you this. As I got into the writing process, I had to go to places in my mind and soul that I don't go very often. Like I lost my mom when I was 21. I lost my dad when I was 32. And so like I, you know, I think about them all the time, but it's just not a like I, I have a lot of that locked away. I have a lot of of that emotion locked away. And Laney's always like, it's gonna come out one day. I know it. <laughs> like you're gonna go crazy one day. But but I have it so well managed. Um, but I'll tell you, when I wrote the chapter, there's a chapter in there called Keep Your Money. Oh, and, Marty, Marty, I was crying when I was trying to mow the yard this weekend listening to that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's one of the most important things I've ever done personally, uh, much less professionally. And I had to really make myself extremely vulnerable to tell that story. I had to call my childhood buddies, Aaron and Anthony Myers, um, who that chapter is about and and really get their permission to tell that story the way that I told it uh, was, was such raw emotion. And they were all for it because they're like, look, it's the truth. It's our life. And so that that would be my answer to you about connecting to my family and my parents because I had to put this energy out there that was terrifying energy. And I wasn't just like sharing it with my family or a therapist. I was sharing it with the whole globe if they wanted to consume it. And so some of my friends in music, I have a lot of really close friends who are country music artists. And one of them said to me once on the eve of one of his albums coming out, he was extremely anxious and nervous. And I happened to be with him that day. And I'm like, man, what the hell's wrong with you? 
You know the work is amazing and transcendent. Why are you worried? He goes, anything worth its salt is vulnerable. And when you put that energy out into the world, you have to be okay with whatever comes back to you, no matter what it is, because that energy is genuine. It's real. And that's a terrifying prospect. And the night before that book came out, I knew exactly how he felt. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know how it's going to be received. And and this is something that's precious to you. And like you said, vulnerable. And, and you just hope that people can get something good out of it and that you're not casting your pearls before swine. Right. It seems because of my job that it's a sports book. It's not a sports book. It's a life book. It's a people book. It's a it's how sitting across from Tiger Woods, sitting across from Nick Saban, sitting across from Cristiano Ronaldo, whoever these iconic people are that are famous and heroic to so many millions, how I reached, not, not I reached, that's not the right way to say it, how we connected, that's the right way to say it on a human level. And, and that's what the whole book is. And it's been, I tell you, speaking of the energy that comes back to you, I have been humbled beyond words of the energy that's come back. That thing has impacted people's lives so deeply. And it's the greatest experience of my professional life to have fellowshiped with people on that level, whether it's a DM, whether it's a, a an open social media post, or whether it's a letter that shows up at ESPN, which every time, every Saturday when I go to Marty and McGee, there are letters waiting. And the, quite frankly, letters show up at, at our house. And I don't know how hell people get our address. It's a little weird, but 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 when when the letter says, and I this I'm not making this up. Letters have said to me, to us, you saved my life because I had to have something in that moment to hold on to that gave me hope. And those words gave me hope. Those stories gave me hope. And holy smokes, you talk about emotional. That'll break you down, man. And it, you know, you're going back to music. I, I've always said that Eric Church, who is, I mean, he he's one of, if not my best friend, uh, he's he's way up there at the top. Before I ever knew Eric, I knew his music. And when I lost my dad, that music saved me. That music was a vehicle to carry the guttural hurt that I had in that moment when I couldn't carry it myself. And when I met him, I didn't have the guts to look him in the eye and tell him that, but I looked at the floor, shook his hand, and I just said to him, hey man, thank you so much for that record. It saved my life. And a friendship was spawned at that moment that neither he nor I, he wrote this in the forward of the book, that neither of us could have ever imagined. And we have had the highest of highs together and the lowest of lows together. And it's all because of that music and that art. And so I know exactly how those readers feel. So what an honor. It's just a very humbling emotion. It, it was obvious to me that you were able to put that, that you know, those feelings, like you know how you just said, um, you can understand how those readers feel. It's obvious that you had been in a similar place before and that you poured that into the book in, in hoping to be able to pay back some of what's already been paid to you. And um, yeah. something that was interesting when my dad passed away, um, and this is probably the genesis of this whole conversation. Um, one, I, I definitely want to talk to you. You and I grew up an hour and a half away from each other. Um, I grew up in Mount Airy, North Carolina. Andrew grew up in High Point. So he's just another hour south. So it's just like you know, when I hear you speak, I hear just everybody from home. I just feel like I'm at home. Sure. So it just I just felt like I'd be talking to, you know, someone that I've known my whole life. Um, but so my dad's from North Florida, but raised us where my mom grew up. And he uh I I learned 
I never would have guessed that I would I would have learned so much about my dad between a viewing and a funeral in in a two day period. You know, someone who I knew my entire life. He was my best friend, and at the viewing, I just was like just completely carried and and buoyed by the stories I heard about him. Um, I for instance, I always looked at dad as kind of a charity case. He he, dad was a, taught us how to love, taught us how to be good people. Um, was bad with money. You know, we I, it's I'm the oldest of seven kids. Him and mom had seven kids. I'm the oldest and we didn't, we, we didn't have much, you know, it was, it was rough living. Um, plenty of people have had it much more rough, but that's because we were buoyed by the charity of others. But I got to hear stories about he was, how he was actually a charity worker. Um, and whether that be going and picking someone up because their car broke down, even though dad's van was the, the side door to his van was being held on with, a, with some rope. Um, he didn't care. He had no shame about that. He was going to go help somebody who, who was in need. There was another man who, whose mom was on her deathbed and he had never met this man it was it was her son and but he sat down and, and just ended up he was on his way out but saw him and started talking to him for spent three hours with him comforted him while his mom was passing away things like that like i'd never heard these stories i don't know when he did them but he did them you know D- did you find similar experiences with uh, your mom and, and your dad going through the, that experience with them you certainly do learn a lot about them uh, after they're gone that you didn't imagine you'd ever know. And it was the same with my dad's mom, who uh, she she was something else. She made it to 98 and a half, and she taught thousands of kids in the New River Valley where I grew up at Christiansburg High School. And that, I mean, you learn about their impact on other people's lives. And so I did experience that, yes. And it's funny. I mean, even all these years later, you're still kind of processing it all, you know? Mm-hmm. I think it's something I'll be processing the rest of my life. You will. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's a good thing. I, like I'm, I'm grateful for that. I, I don't know. That's just something that's innate in me to be always thinking about things. And, and that's a, that's a prevalent moment in my life. And, and I think that's good if we can take those instances that are filled with so much pain, but keep learning positive things from them. Um, Andrew, do, Marty, do you happen to have any recordings of your dad's voice, any video audio? Otherwise you have any of that, that you've held on to and, and what does it say? Uh, I do not. Um, I, I certainly have some, uh, like, so my cousins, it's funny. One of my cousins is a editor for Hollywood movies and he has gone and found all of these old school high eight tapes from our childhood. Wow. And like Christmases and Thanksgivings and all those things. And it's just wild to see my parents on those things. Yeah, sure. And it's I, it's hard to even describe the emotion that, that you feel seeing like, you know, mom real healthy and my dad being my dad with some look, you know, smart ass look on his face. <laughs> but yeah, I don't have any audio recordings. I sure wish I did. Um, the thing about him, he was a tough nugget, man. He, uh, he was hard to know. Uh, he was... He was like gruff. He wasn't uh, like, and I grab you up and I love you, dad. But he was, you never questioned it. I mean, you knew that you knew you were loved. And he was one of those kind of hard asses that if I had the best basketball game of my career or the best football game of my career, when you get in the car, it's like, man, what was up with those five turnovers? <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> And, and gosh, as a kid, you're like, what the hell do I have to do to get your favor? Like, what do I have to do? But then you find out later, like, this is one of those things that you find out kind of after they're gone. He didn't tell me he was super proud of me. It was expected, but he sure as hell told everybody else he was so proud of me. And like, everybody says that, like how proud he was of me and how proud my mom was. My mom told us, but 
Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's always funny. And the thing I've talked to many people about this, who've lost their dad, I will spend the rest of my days. I lost my dad April 25th, 2008. I will spend the rest of my days trying to make him proud. It's weird because it's like, it's ingrained in me somewhere subconsciously that I just want to make him proud. And like, I know Dale Jr. I know Dale Earnhardt Jr. is that same way. Mm-hmm. You know, his relationship with his dad, he spent his entire youth trying to get his dad's attention and his dad's favor. And then he, because he finally gets it and his dad dies tragically. Right. And so, yeah, that's a weird subconscious <laughs> uh, psychological uh, equation, but it's the truth. I mean, I, I think I think a lot of guys probably can relate to that. And, uh, you know, also when you lose your dad and, and Yeti, you'll probably agree with this. No matter what your relationship is with your dad, no matter how great it is, how difficult, complex, whatever that is with your father, when he's gone, you lose a compass. Because when he's here, whatever problem arises, you can call him and he's got the answer. Like roof's leaking, call dad. Truck won't start, call dad. Whatever. Right. And he knows and he'll tell you and he's right. <laughs> and then when he's gone, it's this avalanche of, holy cow, I got to do this by myself now. Yeah. Like, I got to figure this out now. And that's a lot to process too. And the last thing I'll say about that is when my friends lose loved ones, I've learned having lost my parents so quickly or so so young. The only thing that helps is time. And time fails you more often than not. One of of my best friends, he he wrote a song a long time ago where he says, time is not your friend when time is what you need. Uh, When you wish it was the end, time brings you to your knees. And and yeah, that that rings home true, Marty. Um, So let's let's push through the next couple of questions. Let's go mildly rapid fire. In what ways are you still chasing your old man? Uh, every single thing. Like, well, I'll tell you how. I mean, I just said this to my wife two days ago. I say it after everything I do, really, uh, with ESPN. If if dad, if mom and dad could see this, they would just be falling all over themselves. <laughs> if that's not something that's if that's not something that's right there, top of mind for you, then then you just don't set you don't think that way. And so that it's always there. What would mom and dad say about? What would my dad say about Coach Saban busting my chops? <laughs> like. He's the, this is the, my dad loved college football more than anything else. And that was one of our greatest bonding kind of tethers. And here I am with a relationship with the greatest coach that's ever lived. So I want to know what my dad thinks about that. So that's how, I mean, I'm always, it's always in my mind, like, wait a minute. Like, what would my dad think about the fact that Augusta National Golf Club chose his boy? (laughs) <laughs> to host their official podcast for the Masters tournament. Like, what would he think about that? I think, I mean, I say it to Laney all the time. And what would mama think about the fact that my mom loved country? I love country music because my mom did. And what would my mom say about the fact that this person, this person, and this person, and this person are friends of her boy? Like, she would be tickled to death. And so, those kind of things are how I'm always still chasing. What do your kids teach you, Marty? And do they ever call you out on your BS? Oh, they call, they don't see the, the, the <laughs> I'll tell you what they teach me. They teach me a lot. First of all, uh, I've learned more from my son probably than any teacher professor I ever had. Um, it's, it's, and, and I was going to say this about how hard my dad was on me. I didn't understand it until I had my own son. And when I had my own son and you're trying to raise a man in a world full of wolves, to be respectful, to be hardworking, to be compassionate, to be all the things that you want them to be. 
you can't kiss their butt. Like you, I'm not here. I, I'm not here to be your friend. I'm your daddy. And with that comes a lot of responsibility. And so I've learned a lot from him. My daughters, it's a, it's a amazing how they affect me with their wonder. They have a wonder about their sweet little minds that I just want to jump in there and hang out a while. Yeah. And I want to get, I want to wring every last ounce of that wonder out so that I can be infused with, with that wonder myself. And, um, like a lot of parents, I can't stand technology. It's something I think all (laughs) of us who have young kids are battling right now. Uh, because it's a different world. My old man, you know, we didn't, I had three channels till I was in the eighth grade. And so you, you, you just, I've learned more about myself doing that. And and what I love the most about it is, is they don't care. They couldn't care one iota about any of the professional side. They don't care. And like really when it hits them is when their friends are like, their friends will mention, Hey, we saw your dad at this event or that event. Half the time, they don't even know where I am. (laughs) (laughs) And so, so I love that because when I come home, it's not about that ever. Like it's, it's about being daddy and being Laney's husband. And so that's very important to me. Again, I don't want to be defined by that. I want to be defined by dad and husband. Like, am I, am I great at those things? Am I attentive enough in those areas? A lot of times the answer is no, because my job is labor intensive or time. It's not labor intensive. It's time intensive. And I want to do the very best I can to make sure, A, you know I love you and nobody has your back like I do. And no matter where I am at any time, if I'm in Beijing, China, I'm in Seattle, Washington, it doesn't matter. I'm here. And that's a very important thing for these kids in in today's world to know, know in their soul, my mama and my daddy have my back. Now, they're not easy on me, but they love me. And so- that, yeah, I learn from them every day, man. So I'm a firm believer that behind every great man is an even better woman. And you talked about her a little bit, but what's what's one of Lainey's greatest attributes that's really helped you become a better dad? So again, patience is the number one and, and being a strong person. I mean, she's a very strong person. I remember years ago when our kids were younger, it was a lot harder, you know, because she's on an island and you have eight, five and two at home. And everything that comes with that. And I'm like, so I think about 2014 when our lives really changed because I left NASCAR full time when ESPN lost the broadcast rights and they dumped me directly into college football. And that was a really hard time for her because she was really on an island. And I would come home from these trips and I'd put my bags down and I'd be like, I'm here. I'm dad. I'm ready to, I'm ready to strong arm any conflict into a court. I got this. And she would be like, you haven't been here. So you really don't have the right to try to tell them how to act. And she was like, as a man, again, as an insecure person, that'll hit you right in the soul, (laughs) but it's true. And in your soul, if you have any self-awareness about you, you know, it's true. And so over time, I learned I have to be a teammate and I have to come in here and I have to learn from her what needs to be done and how it needs to be done and what she's been managing and be her confidant and her sounding board and her, you know, have her back rather than come in here like a tornadic event and think you're going to fix everything. And so, I mean, her amazing attributes, I mean, I could go on for days. She puts up with my crap, y'all. I mean, <laughs> so, 
So yeah, she's a uh, she's a special person, and I'm really grateful that she's my person. That that was that was a prerequisite that I didn't even realize until about four or five years into my marriage that I needed it was I needed someone who was going to allow me to be myself, but demand the best version of me. Yeah, and um and I had questioned previous girlfriends why didn't they work out? I just wasn't sure. But like about about five years into my marriage, I realized I was like I married my wife because something deep down saw that she was going to, you know, demand the best out of me. She wasn't going to settle for anything less. And I needed that. Um, so, uh, we're, we're getting close to the end here. I, I'm always curious. My kids are just you know, seven and 10. So they, they haven't done too much yet that, um, you know, that I'm really going to have to reconcile with. Um, but I, I often wonder when, when the day comes, when they make some of the same mistakes or, or goof ups that may, that I made, how will I reconcile with those things? So Marty, what are you going to do if your daughter's prom date shows up in oversized Michigan shorts. Probably put him back in a truck and send him on his way. <laughs> no hesitation, yeah. huh? <laughs> I've, uh, like I say, boys, I've made some regrettable decisions in my life. <laughs> uh, a buddy of mine, one of my best childhood friends is the registrar at Virginia Tech now. And he's the other day he sent me a, a text. He goes, Hey, do you have a photo from prom? My daughter wants to make a big statement at prom and I wanted to show her your statement. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not sure. They might all be in an inferno, something in a campfire somewhere. Uh, yeah, that one. Uh, uh, that was a uh, Andrew. You're not. Are you not aware of this? No. <laughs> oh man, Marty. Did, like, <laughs> did did it take a lot of gut? Like, were were you debating that decision to uh, to wear the Michigan shorts? No, not at all. No, not at all. Okay, and that was just like from the get go. This is what I'm going to do. There is now a rule in the Giles County School Board rule book that disallows anything but long That's pants. Fantastic. At- <laughs> and I don't know if it's called the Marty Smith rule, but it should be. <laughs> <laughs> well, Marty, this has been really wonderful. We really appreciate your time. And uh, thank you for taking time to talk to us about dads, about parenthood and fatherhood. And uh, I hope you get to spend Father's Day with your family and, and make the most of it with, with those in your present while remembering some of the, the sweet moments of the past. Well, that's about all the time we have today. Be sure to subscribe or follow us on your favorite podcast platforms. You can find Marty on Twitter at Marty Smith ESPN. Once again, his book is Never Settle, Sports, Family, and the American Soul. Find it wherever you get your books. I recommend the audiobook version, but however you prefer your books, get it. It's a wonderful book and you won't regret it. You can follow our show on Twitter and Instagram at YesMaybeNoPod. And you can find me on Twitter at GettyBlanc underscore. And me at AndrewStreeter underscore. You can find Marty, really. Just turn on ESPN. He'll be there. (laughs) Seriously. Marty, thanks again for joining us. And to all of our listeners, thank you for listening. And we hope you have a very happy Father's Day. But until next time... Our dad's the best. Yes, maybe no. Our dad's the best. Yes, maybe no. I hope yours is. Mine is dead. Listen to Yes, Maybe No. Subscribe, download, rate, review, wherever fine podcasts are sold. Or uh, download it. Stay safe out there in the wilderness, fellas. 6, 49 a.m. Hey, Greg. I just came across an interesting website called Airbnb. A-I-R-B-N-B. It's where you can list your house and rent it, you know, uh, for a weekend or whatever. And now, it's, it's just an interesting concept. I just wanted to point it out to you if you don't already know about it.
an easy site to follow and speak to understand. Okay, uh, just thought you might be interested in knowing about it. Okay, bye. Yeah. Uh, uh, I love you, Pops. Happy Father's Day.